You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, good morning, Life Church Livonia. It is so good to be here with you today. It is a wonderful day. I am grateful for God's new mercies. I'm grateful to be preaching God's word to you this morning. I'm grateful to be here with this church community. Thank you so much for joining us. If we haven't met yet, my name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church Livonia. Well, today's a special day. Today we're celebrating our cider mill, which is an in-person event happening immediately after service. So as Kate said earlier, you should come down and check it out. Going to have free cider and donuts with Petey's Donut and Cider Truck from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., Really hope to see you there. But that's not the only cool thing happening today. We're also starting this new series, Breakthrough the Busy. I really love this image. I love <laughs> I love how janky it is. This looks like a lot of power strips in my house. Kind of a fire hazard, but that's okay. <laughs> but what I love about this image is it represents how so many of us feel in fall, right? Because how many of you feel like fall is already too busy, right? I know I do. And how many of you wish it wasn't that busy? I know I do. It's so easy to get caught up in the start of school and new sports and the change of schedules and seasons and all these different things. Most falls can feel like this mad dash at the beginning of a race. But this fall doesn't have to be that way because we can break through the busy by refocusing on our why, refocusing on our values, and sticking to those things. Now, I just kind of want to start with a caveat at the very beginning of this series. There is a difference between activity and busyness. I want to define busyness for our purposes as busyness means we're being overextended. It means we said yes to more than we should have. It means we're living without margin. And it really means we're being driven by the expectations of other people, not the expectations of God. Now, we can be, um, when we're driven by our values rather, in contrast to busyness, when we're driven by our values, we may still be active. But we'll be active within limits. We'll have healthy yeses and nos. And we're going to be filled with purpose, not just filled with activity that's harried and frantic. Right? We don't want to live in this harried, frantic, busy, overwhelmed life, but we do want to be active on mission with Jesus, living purposefully. And the first and most important step is we try to kind of step back from all the busyness of this fall and go, okay, how can I slow down? But instead of reacting, either being frantic and crazy or being totally selfish and isolated, doing nothing that really matters, we we want to avoid both of those extremes this fall. And we want to somehow meet in this middle place where we're able to be active on purpose and not harried and frantic. And the first step in that process is we got to remember the why. We got to remember the why. Now, there's a story uh, Nick Angler and I were talking about a few months back. And as I was prepping for this sermon, it came to mind. And you've probably heard this story. It goes a little something like this. A vacationing American businessman was standing on the pier of a quaint coastal fishing village in southern Mexico. And he watched as a small fishing boat pulled in and the Mexican fisherman there pulled into the dock with three large, beautiful yellowfin tuna that he had just caught. 
and enjoying the warmth of the early afternoon sun, the American complimented him on the quality of the catch. He said, wow, how long did it take you to catch those? And the fisherman replied, well, a few hours. Well, why didn't you stay out and catch more fish, stay out longer and, and be able to sell them and make money? And the Mexican warmly replied, well, this is enough. I, had, I mean, this is enough fish to meet my family's needs and this is uh, everything I need. And the businessman then became serious and he said, but what do you do with the rest of your time? Responding with a smile, the fisherman said, well, I, I love to sleep late. I play with my children. I watch my favorite teams, my favorite sports teams. I take siesta with my wife. And sometimes in the evenings, I take a stroll through the village and I see my friends and sing songs and I play guitar. And then he was rudely and decisively interrupted by the businessman who says, look, man, I have an MBA from Harvard Business School and I can help you become more profitable. You can start by fishing just several hours longer every day. In just those couple of hours, you sell the extra fish that you catch. Before long, you're gonna be able to buy a bigger boat. Now with that bigger boat, you're gonna be able to get additional income because you can fit more fish in the boat and that's gonna allow you to eventually get a second boat and then a third boat until and you have an entire fleet of fishing boats. And then the next step is gonna be instead of selling your catch to a middleman who sells it on the market, you're gonna go direct to the processor and maybe even open your your own cannery. Eventually you could control the product, the processing, and the distribution. You could leave this tiny little coastal fishing village and you could move to Mexico City or to LA or to New York. And having never thought about any of these things before, the fisherman asked, wow, how long would all this take? And after a rapid mental calculation, the Harvard businessman says, uh, 15 to 20 years, but it could be faster if you work really hard. And then the fisherman said, well, and then what, senor? What would I do after that? And the businessman laughed and he said, well, that's the best part because what's going to happen is your business is going to grow and then you're going to sell your stock on the stock market and it's going to go public and you're going to make millions of dollars and be super rich. Wide-eyed, the fisherman asked, millions, really, what would I do with all that? He asked in disbelief. The businessman boasted, that's my favorite part. Then you could happily retire with all the money you've made and you could move to a quaint coastal fishing village where you could sleep late and play with your grandchildren and watch ball games and maybe take your wife to siesta and you could stroll the village in the evenings and play guitar and sing songs with your friends. And I love this story. And I love this story because... It, I just think I resonate a lot with the American businessman, right? On one level, it's a story about materialism, uh, but on another level, it's really about this impulse to trade the things we value for more, for more busyness, for more activity, for more things, in the hopes that one day our overcommitments will somehow manifest into this life that we want, a life of purpose and a life of peace. It's really a story about sacrificing our why on the altar of more. In our current day and age, there are so many things vying for our attention. There's Netflix, there's Hulu, there's Peacock, there's Amazon, there's streaming services, there's websites, Instagram, Facebook, apps, the artist formerly known as Twitter, video games, YouTube, and that's just entertainment. And then on top of that, you got workloads and bosses and spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends and friend friends and children and school and sports and homework, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And are you tired yet? There is so much de making demands on our time this fall. And it's so easy just to get swept away into that businessman's mentality of harried and frantic and hectic life or to do the opposite of the businessman and just react by shutting down into an isolated, self-centered and disconnected life. And this fall, we don't wanna do either of those things at Life Church Livonia. We wanna be able to live within our limits 
yet actively engage with purpose. We want to be connected, but not over-functioning. We want to be engaged, but not harried. We want to break through the busy. And the very first thing we need to do is to remember our why. And so I just want to ask you, what's your why? What's the rubric for you that you make your decisions through? What's the discernment process where you evaluate the right yeses and the right noes? I'm not sure how you'd answer that question, but as Christians at Life Church Livonia, our why is the same why that drives and drove Jesus. And have you ever wondered what Jesus's why was, what his uh, white hot purpose was? How did Jesus evaluate his decisions? How did he decide to say yes or no to things? How did Jesus determine what was his to do and what was not his to do? I mean, of all people in history, he had a lot of demands on his time and on his attention. He was wanted by three different governmental groups. Every town he went to either wanted to chase him out and kill him or make him king. He was essentially reparenting 12 grown men out of their family of origins and into the family of God. And speaking of family of origins, his kept showing up at all the places he was doing ministry, trying to convince him to come back to the family business and quit this ministry thing. Jesus had a lot going on, and a lot of people had agendas for Jesus' life. But in the midst of all the demands and the expectations of the world around him, Jesus was able to break through the busy because he was super clear on his why. In John chapter 3, we see a really interesting conversation. A man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he's trying to figure out what Jesus' why is. See, Nicodemus is drawn to Jesus. Maybe like you today, maybe you're feeling drawn to Jesus, but you're just not sure. See, Nicodemus sees the miracles that Jesus is doing. He hears the teaching. He experiences the power, but he doesn't understand what the purpose of this ministry is and what it's all about. Why is Jesus here? What's his purpose? What's his goal? And as Nicodemus is looking for Jesus' why, this conversation follows. And we're going to pick it up here in John chapter 3. And the scripture says this. Now there was a Pharisee, named, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. We're going to pause there real quick. I want to draw your attention to it. It says he's a Pharisee, okay? Pharisee means that Nicodemus had more schooling and education and social influence than most people in his day and age, okay? He would have been able to read. He'd have been able to write. Being a Pharisee means he had the first five books of the Bible memorized, and it was his responsibility to teach them to the people of Israel. And he was held in very high regard. But Jesus had been making waves in Nicodemus's spiritual community because Jesus was disrupting the status quo. Now, Nicodemus is kind of drawn to this, but before he puts his chips in with Jesus, he needs to get a better sense of what Jesus' why is for this ministry. And Jesus responds with this. He replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water, and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. 
You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So Jesus is trying to explain his purpose to Nicodemus through this analogy of birth, this human analogy, right? Something we understand. And he's saying that we have to be born a second time, not of water, but of the Spirit, and Nicodemus is lost. And actually, I think most of us probably would join Nicodemus and be like, what are we talking about right now? How does this make sense? What do you mean be born again? How much of this is a metaphor? How much of this is literal? And because we have about 2,000 years of great thinkers and perspective on this after Jesus' death and resurrection, we know in this day and age, what Jesus is saying is, listen, we've all been born physically, or in Jesus' words, of water. But to live in God's way, in the way that God made us, we have to be reborn spiritually into a new kind of person. But Nicodemus isn't tracking with this birth analogy. So Jesus switches tactics, and he tries a different analogy. And he decides to talk about a character that Nicodemus would have been intimately familiar with from the Old Testament, the person of Moses. And Jesus says this, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Again, kind of cryptic, right? I feel like Jesus is really leaving a lot of room for some wild interpretation here. Like, what does he mean about Moses and the snake and eternal life and the wilderness? And like I said, Nicodemus at this point is probably tracking with Jesus, but we don't have this story memorized because we're not Pharisees, we're not Nicodemus. And so before we can understand Jesus's answer here, we got to understand the story he's referencing. And so we're going to kind of jump out of that moment and we're going to jump back into the Old Testament and we're going to read the story that Jesus is talking about here. And the story goes a little something like this. And this is a history, not a myth, okay? This isn't a made-up fiction. This really happened. And it's in the book of Numbers. And so leading up to the story we're about to read, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and God freed them from slavery. And now they're in the wilderness with God. God is working on forming this group of freed slaves, not just into a nation, but into his nation, not just into a people, but to his people. And so he gives them these laws. He's providing for their needs. He leads them to the threshold of the promised land and they decide not to go in because they don't trust that God is going to take care of them. And so now they're wandering through the wilderness for 40 years until the generation that wouldn't trust God passes away and a new generation who will trust God rises up. And so they're in the wilderness, they're getting tired, they're getting frustrated on their journey, and this is what happens. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread! There's no water, and we detest this miserable food. By the way, they're talking about manna, which God is miraculously providing for them. And they're right, there is no water, but because they're in the desert, but God is miraculously providing for them. And then this is what happens. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Wow. Wild story. Am I right? Like the very, uh, woof. 
<laughs> There's a lot going on there. And what a bizarre solution too. What does all this mean? And I know you saw the image just a second ago, but this is what the bronze serpent looked like. And you may have recognized this as a medical symbol we still use today in modern medicine to mean healing. And what's fun is if you look this symbol up, it'll tell you it's called the staff of Asclepius, okay? But uh, they would say it's from Greek mythology and it symbolizes healing, but Greek mythology uh, is way later than the book of Numbers. So the story we just read about the snake in the wilderness uh, on the staff meaning healing, that way predates Greek mythology. So this is really from the book of Numbers and we still use it today to mean healing. Very cool, not the point of the story. I just thought it was cool to kind of connect it to our modern day things. So what's happening here in this story about these snakes and people getting bitten and then this bronze serpent and the staff, like what is going on and what does this have to do with helping Nicodemus understand Jesus's why? Well, what's happening is that Jesus is taking this story and he's expanding it into an analogy about himself and about the human condition. You see, Jesus is saying that uh, people's sin, and like just like in the story, the people's sin caused them to get bitten by snakes. And then everyone has poison in their bodies, and unless that poison leaves their bodies, they're going to die. Jesus points at that and he says, that's a representation of the human condition. When humanity sinned in the Garden of Eden, when they were, Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent, when they sinned, they were metaphorically bitten by the serpent, right? Because now humanity has this poison called sin in our veins. And that poison is killing every single person ever. And we see this, right? Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. We see the poison inside of us. It's what gives cause to physical malformities in people, to birth defects, to diseases. This poison in us is what gives cause to mental health crises and to abuse and to addiction and to suicide. It's what gives rise to estrangement and divorce and the death of a family unit. This poison is what gives rise to our own apathy and purposelessness and listless wandering and chronic loneliness. It's what gives rise to our divided country, our toxic politics, our lack of forgiveness, and our inability to reach across differences. This poison is what gives rise to our racism and our violence and our dehumanization of people groups across history. It's what gives rise to our own individual greed and selfishness, our hatred of others, our lust that looks to use other people for our own pleasure. It's what gives rise to the industries of pornography and human trafficking. It's what gives rise to the decay in our own physical bodies, our minds, our hearts, and even to death itself. This poison is called sin, and it is the sickness at the heart of the human condition. And just like the people in the wilderness, this poison is physically, relationally, emotionally, mentally, socially, communally, literally killing us. And no level of the human experience escapes from the poison of sin. And no amount of good deeds on our end makes us all of a sudden not poisoned. There is nothing we can do to get it out of our veins. And the people in the wilderness needed someone to intervene on their behalf and to take this poison out of their veins because they were powerless to do it ourselves. And that's not just true of them, that's true of us. We need someone to intervene 
and heal us from this. And so as Jesus is giving this analogy to Nicodemus, he's saying, listen, the whole human race, this human condition is infected with this poison that has come from sin. But I am the bronze staff in the wilderness that will be lifted up. I have come to heal people of the death inside them caused by sin. I have come to save them. And then Jesus tells him why. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This poison of sin is killing us. We are already condemned. We're all going to die. And Jesus did not come to add to that condemnation, but he came to bring freedom from it. Jesus is saying he would rather take all the poison from all people for all time upon himself than exist in, a, in an eternity without us in it. If we believe that God sent Jesus to forgive our sins on the cross, if we believe Jesus lived a perfect life and rose from the dead to offer us eternal life, if we follow Jesus as Lord of our lives, our sins are forgiven and that poison is gone. Just like when the people in the wilderness looked on the staff and they were miraculously healed. Jesus is saying, that this is him. This is why he came. And he's trying to tell Nicodemus that he has come to heal the human race of this poison so that we can be born again out of sin and into the life we were designed to live. And why? Why would Jesus come from heaven to earth? Why would he take all the poison of sin upon himself? Why would he leave his throne for a manger? Why would he leave the shouts of praise for the shouts of crucify him? Why would he leave the house of God for the homelessness of his itinerant ministry? Why would he come and take our sins upon himself? Why would he choose the cross? And he says it so clearly, because God loves us. Because God loves you. And he doesn't want you to perish in your sin. And he doesn't want me to perish in my sin. He wants to save us, to deliver us, to redeem us so we can be with him forever instead of separated from him forever by our sin. Jesus is why the whole thing that drives him is this mission that real people would come to know their real God and experience real life and life to the full. This is Jesus' why, and this is our why here at Life Church Livonia. This is our vision, that real people would come to know our real God and experience real life and life to the full in Jesus. Everything that we do as a church is unto this end. It's why we preach sermons. It's why we have donuts. It's why we plan cider mills. It's why we disciple children. It's why we wear name tags. It's why we give of our time, talent, and treasures. It's why we have greeters. It's why we volunteer. It's why we have lights. It's why we have a sound system. It's why we have cameras. It's why we went to school. It's why we do set up and tear down every week. We do it because God loves us so much that Jesus came from heaven to earth to save you and to save me from our sins by taking all of the poison that is killing us upon himself and putting it to death on the cross and then rising from the dead so that we might be transformed so radically from the inside out that it's like we have been born as a different person. This kind of person that's filled with love, with joy, 
with peace, with patience, with goodness, with faithfulness, with gentleness, and with self-control. That we might have life, and life in all of its fullness, both here and eternally with God forever. That is why Jesus came. And that's what he's trying to communicate to Nicodemus. And so what do we do about that? Right? The series is called Break Through the Busy. How does this help us break through the busy in this fall season? Well, I think there are three groups here. I think group number one are those of us who are already followers of Jesus. And if that's you listening right now, welcome, brothers and sisters. I'm glad you're here. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to think with me right now, friends. Think about your schedule. And I want you to ask the question, how much of the activities you're doing throughout the week are because you're joining Jesus on his mission? Just think about your schedule. Think about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, today, Sunday. How many things in our schedules are because we're trying to join Jesus on his mission? How many things in our schedules are about our comfort or pleasure? or fun, which are not bad, but they're not our why. How many things on our list of concerns are about God getting, uh, trying to get God to do something for us instead of us joining him on his mission? Brothers and sisters, my friends, my my fellow followers of Jesus, life is a gift and it's a gift to enjoy, but life is short. Jesus is coming back. And that day is sooner today than it was yesterday. There is a coming day when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and not every tongue who confesses that will know him or believe in him or have followed him. The Great Commission has an end date, and it's the second coming. And the time that we have now, when that time comes, the metrics by which we measure what made this time worth it, will all of a sudden become very, very clear. And friends, my encouragement to us as followers of Jesus is to live in such a way this fall that we will not be disappointed on that day when every tongue confesses and every knee bows to Jesus, but that we would be proud of how we spent our time and filled our schedules, that we would let Jesus' why guide us because that day is coming and it is coming soon. Group number two, are those of us who maybe followed Jesus, followed Jesus at one point, but we really haven't been following him at all for a little bit. We've gotten distracted. We've gotten discouraged. Maybe something really hard happened because of sin, because of the death in our bodies, because of the death in our relationships. And maybe we're holding God accountable instead of sin accountable. Maybe we had a need or a desire that we decided we were going to meet our way instead of God's way. And then we tried to use some weak theology about God's love and forgiveness for us to justify stepping outside of his will. Friends, that's not the way we're meant to live. If this is you, and you followed Jesus at one point, but you walked away due to pain or maybe due to a desire for pleasure, I just want to call you back. And I want you to know God so loves you that his arms are open wide to you, that he is chasing you, he is pursuing you, he is longing for you. 
that you might have life and life to the full, that you might be filled with his love, with his joy, with his peace, with his patience, with his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and his self-control. I want you to know that he is reaching out, that you might have life in all of its fullness. And I want you to pray with me if that's you, and I want you to come back, to come back from where you've been to what God has for you. And finally, I think group three are those of us who are listening right now who are not followers of Jesus. And if that's you, I want you to know that God so loved you that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. I want you to know that you were made for a purpose, that you were made for meaning, that you were made for something bigger in yourself. That longing in you for hope, for peace, for love, for faith, God made you with those longings and they were made to be filled by him. The emptiness inside of you that nothing seems to quite be filling, that space was made to be filled with God's presence. And if that's you and you know exactly what I'm talking about, you feel that emptiness and you're thinking back over all the different ways you've tried to fill it and they all come up short and maybe it's fun for a night, but the next morning is so empty. That space was made for Jesus. And if you feel that, I want you to know that's God moving in you right now. And I want you to pray with me. And if you're in group two or three, I really want you to pray with me. And I want you to just go, Lord, I'm yours. So Father, Lord, forgive me for holding you accountable for the destruction that sin has wrought in my life. Forgive me for not trusting you to satisfy my needs. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Lord, I look to you and I pray that you would just heal me. Heal the hurts in my heart. Heal the emptiness, Lord, in my chest. Heal that longing, Lord. And I pray that you would satisfy me. I believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth to take his, my sins upon himself and to rise to new life that I might experience life and life in all its fullness. Lord, show me how to walk in your life, in your way. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed with me, please reach out to us via our digital bulletin. We want to walk alongside you. And I want to invite you back next week as we get ready to celebrate our baptisms of four different people who have decided to follow Jesus and who are publicly proclaiming to the world that Jesus is their Lord and that they are sold out for him. It's going to be an awesome celebration, a great party, and we're going to continue this series, Break Through the Busy, next week, and I can't wait to see you there.